We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Let's turn, hold your place. Well, go to Matthew chapter uh, 24. And I want you to hold your place in Matthew 24, verse 21. And turn quickly to John chapter 16. Hold your place, Matthew 24. Go to John 16 also. Now, Verse 33 in John 16, Jesus, talking to his disciples, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's that word, tribulation. Jesus Do you think Jesus' disciples are still on the earth right now, today? No. Not the 12 apostles. Those are the ones I'm talking about. His disciples through us are. But the 12 apostles are not here. So obviously they could not be going through the great tribulation. Amen. But Jesus himself said, In the world you will have tribulation. Every believer that's ever existed from the time of the apostles to today, in 2015 at the time of this broadcast, has and will suffer tribulation, trouble, unmentionable, untold trouble. But Jesus said, have good cheer, I've overcome the world. So it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you, you can have good cheer. Because Jesus already defeated it. And, well, let's turn to Matthew 24 now. He's given us victory. Amen. In the natural, it may look like you're defeated. But inside, in the spirit you, you've already overcome. Because greater is he who's in you than he that's in the earth. Amen. Matthew chapter 24 Now, we already seen Jesus said tribulation will be in the world. Now, let's look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 21. Then, then, now this is the then, let's look real quick at what happened before then. 
That's where Israel is attacked. The abomination of desolation. The, the Muslim leader has stood in the temple declaring himself as God. All the nations of the world are now prepared to attack Israel. Jesus says, then, when all that happens, shall be great tribulation. So at the end of days, this is basically in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years was bad tribulation. But now we enter the period of great tribulation. For then shall be great tribulation. Such as not been, has not been seen since the world began to this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, that's the survivors in Israel, for their sake, because the church has already been raptured out, for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For if any man shall say to you, look, here's the Messiah, or over there, don't believe it. For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets, and they'll show many great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. But behold, I've told you this before. Therefore, if they say to you, hey, he's out in the desert, don't go there. Or he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also be the, summing of, the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcasses are, there shall the eagles be, be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, then you come into the, the heavenly sights. The sun shall be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. So let's just stop right there and get back on subject. Jesus distinctly told his disciples, In the world you will suffer tribulation. Now in John 17, he told his disciples, you know, he asked the Father to bless them, and also bless all those who had come to know Jesus as Savior through their testimony. So therefore, we can also see that even though they had tribulation in their life, so also we will have tribulation in our life. And the trouble that you see going on in America right now, you can't escape it. The tribulation in your life, no matter what it is, lack of income, uh, you know, the things you see on the nightly news, any of it that you suffer is nothing compared to the great tribulation. It's so bad that Jesus told the Jews in those days when the great tribulation starts, he says in Matthew 24, verse 16, Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
and let him, which is on the housetop, not even go down to try to take anything out of his house. Just flee as fast as you can. Or them that are in the field, don't go back and try and get your clothes from your house. Just run. And it's going to be so bad with them that are pregnant and them that are nursing in those days. And pray this time is not in the winter time, nor on the Sabbath day. Because you need to run and flee for your life. So bad is the tribulation that has begun with the great tribulation. Amen? Let's get back to our discussion about troublesome times. I can't, I can't leave it like that. Just a second. We read already in John 16, 33. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you, that in me, in the midst of the tribulation of the world, you are everything that's happening in the world around you right now, if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, he says, you will have peace. That doesn't mean peace on the external body. You may be suffering tribulation externally, but in your heart will be peace, knowing that you're in Christ and He's in God and God's in you. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Therefore, He has overcome the tribulation. Glory to God. All right, now let's get back to our discussion about troublesome times coming on America right now. Amen? That you can see. That you see played out on the nightly news. And you can see what's coming down the road, which some have already begun to prophesy about, including myself. Whether in ministry or economic experts or political experts, whatever their expertise might be, religious experts, biblical scholars, when you hear about trouble coming, you should still have peace. But I want to take you back and let's have a brief history lesson about the United States of America. Can you tell me what happened in the year 1492? Well, for anyone from elementary school on up, at least in the days I was in elementary school, I don't know about so much today, if you say, what happened in 1492? That's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right? Every elementary school child learned that phrase when I was in school. Now, I don't know if they're teaching it anymore in public schools today, but it was taught when I was in school. But there's things that we heard and were taught that were not true. Did you know there is a lot of accumulated evidence that Columbus was not a Spaniard by descent. There is almost completely validated proof that he was a Jew fleeing persecution. Remember I talked about what Jesus said, that the Jews will be persecuted and 
because they rejected God, Babylon, the Babylonians came in, the Persians came in, the Medes came in, and basically they were dispersed to other countries. They had to run for their lives because they were persecuted everywhere they went. A lot of people, through their research, have proven that Columbus was what was called a Marano, or a Jew who pretended to be a Catholic in order to avoid religious persecution. During the time of Columbus's voyage, Moranos were a targeted group. Tens of thousands of these Jewish people were tortured during the Spanish Inquisition. So, keeping someone's true religious identity secret was a crucial priority and way of life for many people. Columbus in Spain was known as Cristobal Colon. Not Columbus. Cristobal Colon. And you know, he did not even speak Italian. There's documented evidence that his family had fled Palestine. That's what the land of Israel was called back then. And ended up in Spain. Now, just one week prior to Columbus's sailing, a ruling had been issued by the king of Spain to expel all the Jews from the kingdom. And we know from our studies in school that Columbus approached the queen of Spain and asked for ships and cargo and money to sail for India by what he believed would be a straight line going across the ocean. And she consented and gave permission for supplies and money to be given to him. Columbus had documented in his journals that he had received inspiration and believed he could make it from the God of his fathers, that he would be successful in crossing the ocean. Now, he thought he was going to end up in India. He had no idea he was going to find a quote-unquote new world. In the crew logs... Over half of Columbus's crew, according to the logs, were, where the names were recorded of the crew, they were Jews. When he had the ships loaded and the crew was ready, the day that the portmaster had scheduled for them to depart from the port, Columbus showed up and announced that they were not leaving. They were going to wait one more day, 24 more hours. And then turn around to leave. The portmaster was furious. Everything had been prepared for their departure. This is going to upset, you know, all the you know. There was another ship waiting to come in and dock. It was it was going to totally disrupt his operation. But Columbus refused to leave until the next day. Why? Christopher Columbus was originally going to sail on August second, fourteen ninety two. It's a day that happened to coincide on the Jewish calendar, which in my Jewish Hebrew pronunciations may not be correct, but you'll get the idea. The Jewish holiday of Tisha B'Av, which basically marks the destruction of the first and second temples of Jerusalem. It is a day that Jews revere as being a cursed day. 
and anyone who entered any type of business transaction would refuse to do so on that day because you're bringing a curse on yourself. And that was the day that the portmaster had scheduled for Columbus to depart. He showed up says, I'm not leaving. He didn't say why. He just refused to go. He proposed his, his original sale, sale date by one day in order to avoid embarking on this holiday, which would have been considered by the Jews to be cursed, an unlucky day to set sail. And coincidentally, or I should say significantly, the day he did set forth, the very next day, was the first day that the Jews living in Spain were given the choice of converting, leaving, or being killed. And that's the day they left. So on August 3rd, 1492, Columbus set sail. On the day that the expulsion, actually the day the expulsion of the Jews began was on August 2nd. It's the day the order was given. They left on August 3rd. August 2nd was the cursed day, the unlucky day, which not only was it the destruction of the temples, first and second temples, but now it also coincided with the day the Jews were expelled from Spain and Portugal. Much has been written of Columbus's uh, purported Jewish origins and of the Jews who accompanied him on his voyage to the Americas. It is certain that only the expedition's interpreter, Louis de Torres, was born a Jew, but converted shortly before the expedition set sail. And that two new Christians, Louis de Santangle and Gabriel Sanchez, also had a hand in financing this expedition. And two Jews, Abraham Zacuto and Joseph Vecino, provided technical expertise that helped Columbus navigate the ocean. So you can see the Jewish roots taking place as God is moving them from Israel through Europe and now bringing them to America. All right, so let's move ahead. The pilgrims, they're not Jews, but they're born-again believers. And now they are being persecuted in Europe about 150 years later. The pilgrims were English separatists. What does that mean? Well, they were fleeing religious persecution. They broke away from the Church of England because they felt the church violated biblical principles of true Christians. Due to persecution and economic distress, they believed they had to break away from the Church of England and form their own congregations, which were more in keeping with the divine requirements. Coming out of the recent Reformation, the pilgrims believed the Church of England had not gone far enough. The church was under strict rule of the state. So their actions were considered treasonous. And these separatists had to flee their homeland. So they left and founded the Plymouth 
colony in 1620. Now these unprepared new arrivals to the new land knew very little about how to survive, especially the harsh winters in the new world. And after arriving in December of 1620, more than half of the people who had made the trek died of starvation before spring. By the next winter, an English-speaking Indian named Squanto, who had been captured by the British and taken to England and somehow escaped and made his way back home, taught the immigrants how to build homes fitting to the climate, when to plant uh, the basically indigenous crop to the area, which was maize or corn, how to cook it. But there were other parts of the story that are less known. Governor William Bradford wrote in his notes that Squanto was a special instrument sent by God for their good beyond their expectations. With gratitude of God sending Squanto and providing the following year's bounty, the colonists and Squanto and Chief Massad and the Wampanoag uh, Indian people feasted on the crops harvest and wild game, giving thanks to God. These early Plymouth colony settlers were very, very deeply religious people. In order to express their gratitude for survival and the harvest they have received appropriately, they looked to the Bible. They read about the Hebrews' celebrated Feast of Sukkot, also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Ingathering. This festival was one of the most joyous of all celebrations. Following the Bible verse, they gave up or they gave all honor to God for providing and for sending Squanto and the Wampanoag uh, people to help them survive. And our American Thanksgiving national holiday came from these early feasts. You see, the pilgrims and Israelites had much in common. They both escaped religious persecution and bondage by going to new lands and were blessed by God and taken care of by God in doing so. The pilgrims began the American tradition of giving thanks to God based on biblical accounts. Giving thanks is supposed to be a part of all prayer. Some of our most remembered passages on the giving of thanks are like, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. In Philippians 4, 6, you read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Amen? Now, economic motives prompted the colonization in Virginia. The Virginia Company of London, organized in 1606, sponsored the Virginia colony of Roanoke, the Roanoke colony. Organizers of the company wanted to expand English trade and obtain a wider market for English manufactured goods. So, naturally, they hoped for financial profit from their investment 
in shares of company stock. Freedom for religious persecution motivated the pilgrims to leave England and settle first in Holland, where there was more religious freedom, but after a number of years there, they felt that their children were being corrupted by the liberal Dutch lifestyle. Notice that word liberal. And they were losing their English heritage as well as they were losing their children from godly heritage. News of the English colony in Virginia motivated them to leave Holland and settle in the New World. Now, the settlers at Jamestown were members of the Anglican faith, the official church of England. In fact, Jamestown was the second attempt to settle in the area. As I said, the first town was Roanoke, which, when their leader needing supplies for the colony, went back to England and returned three years later with the supplies, there was no sign of Roanoke. No sign of what happened to the residents. None to this day. It's theorized the Indians killed all of the residents and destroyed the town, raising it to the ground. Not so much as a board was found when... Other Englishmen returned three years later because the English were attempting to establish a financial foothold in the New World. That was their reason for coming there, purely economic reasons. The pilgrims were dissenters of the Church of England and established the Puritan or the Congregational Church. They only wanted to establish a place where the Word of God would be the authority in the land. Before they disembarked the Mayflower, they all got together and came up with and signed the Mayflower Compact, which basically established the Bible as the premier law of the land. In Jamestown, inexperience and unwillingness to work, because they thought that, you know, how can I say this? Uh, help me, Lord. Okay. All jobs were divvied up in Jamestown. There were farmers, there were hunters, there were those who were construction workers, there were those who, you know, gathered firewood, and, you know, there was a blacksmith, and all these different jobs were divvied up. All produce would be shared equally. That sounds good, doesn't it? Actually, it's the first social experiment in America. Soon, those that were working hard, going out hunting and skinning game and tracking game and dragging it back, and, and the blacksmith and the construction workers, they were working hard night and day. And then there were others that were roofers and you know cleaning up the town and teachers and things like that that didn't have that much involved in work the hard physical labor work but yet everybody was equally compensated well soon the hard workers decided i don't want to work here anymore i'm going to go over here and i'll sweep floors and I still get paid the same. I still get my needs met, all the provision. Everybody gets the same amount of food. And laziness crept in. 
That's the problem when you try and implement a social system into society where there's no benefit for hard work. That's what's happening in the United States right now. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.